0: This episode of You Talk in Prague is brought to you by Riverstar Professional Group, your strategic and financial analysis company. For more information, visit them at RiverstarPro.com. From the control room of 148 South Street Studio, the preacher said a prayer. Save every single hair on his head. He's dead. Welcome to You Talk in Prague. I am Taylor Blackburn. Joined as always by my co-host Evan Bonetti. Hey there, Taylor. Hey, how you doing, good sir? I'm doing great. You ready to talk some Prague? Oh, I am ready to talk some Prague because this always is another episode of you talking Prague, where we talk about all things progressive music. I almost forgot what our subject was that we talk about here. Yeah.
1: We talk about films, right? I think it might be Lunch Ladies. Ah, that's right. We're joined,
0: as always, by another Lunch Lady for an episode of You Talking Lunch Ladies. How you doing, Doris? <clears throat> doing all right. Okay. Evan, did you see the Golden Globes the other night?
1: I think I caught about a half
0: hour of it. Oh, it The was, ending. Oh, it was such a good show. My boy, James Franco, won for the Disaster Artist. I best saw that. Actor in a Comedic movie if anyone has not seen the disaster artist you really need to do yourself a favor I think it's still in theaters go out check it out it's such a great movie such a good movie too about friendship and sort of going against the odds and doing what you love it I couldn't recommend it highly enough and he brought up Tommy Wiseau on the stage (laughs) that was that was really great uh also on just a random note I started watching last night the show on Netflix called The End of the Fucking World. I apologize for the language. That's the name of the series. It's a British absurdist, like, dark comedy that follows this guy who is a 17-year-old who thinks he's a psychopath. He just believes that he's a psychopath and he wants to kill someone. Falls in love with this girl named Alyssa who's got her own troubled past and... Not to really spoil anything that happens, but they get wrapped up in a murder together, and it's oh, it's so good. It just premiered on Netflix. I definitely recommend that for the listeners.
1: Wow. Is that a Netflix original? Yep. Okay.
0: Yeah, it just came out a couple days ago, and I started watching the first episode last night and got about three in and was just hooked. It's so good. Great. Yeah. Uh, Also, we want to talk about some shows coming up. I was looking to see uh, what shows are coming up. For uh, people in the Detroit metro area, Jethro Tull is going to be playing at Freedom Hill July 1st. So excited for that show. Yeah, for their 50th anniversary. You are definitely going to see us there on the lawn rocking out. I cannot wait for that show. Also, March 22nd, Protest the Hero playing All of Fortress at the Shelter. Oh.
1: That's going to be incredible.
0: This will be my first time ever seeing Protest the Hero.
1: That still blows my mind.
0: I know. Usually I make it to every show for any band that I yeah. love. It, it's, what, it's what I do.
1: <laughs> and yeah, I've, I've gotten to see them twice, and we're at a lot of the same shows. So hey, exactly.
0: I miss them at the festival. Uh, man, I, I, I'm so sad that I've missed them so many times. But to see them now and to see them play Fortress all the way through, I, it'll, it'll be perfect. Uh, Machine Head, also, sort of a proggy band, a proggy mm. metal band, they're going to be playing at the Majestic Theater February 17th. And it'll be interesting because they're doing what they call an evening of Machine Head. So it'll just be three hours of just Machine Head. Wow. Yeah, no openers or anything. They'll be playing stuff from all their albums. Are they going to
1: do any covers or anything? I know they've got some pretty decent covers on a couple uh, of...
0: I hope so. I hope they throw in that Witch Hunt cover. (laughs) Rush, baby. (laughs) And Evan, your favorite band. I just saw this tour was announced today. I I know you're so excited. You're going to be waiting in line for tickets. Talking June 11th at the Majestic Theater. King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard
1: So we found out about this group a couple of weeks ago I I don't understand. So if any of you do understand and you can explain it to me. Hey, 5
0: albums in 1 year, man. That's a that's a lot of content. Yeah, content, but <laughs>
1: <laughs> is it worth it? Rattlesnake. Uh, Rattlesnake.
0: Rattlesnake. Rattlesnake. Uh, To be fair, it's like the only song I've heard from them, and I I kind of like it. I I hate it. It's it's stuck in my head so bad. Maybe that's why I like it. I enjoy (laughs) that type of shit that lingers in your head. Okay, and for today on our Artist Spotlight series, we're going to be talking about the one, the only,
1: thank you, Scientist. These guys are awesome and fairly new to the game.
0: Evan, you were the one who introduced me to them, so why don't you go ahead and give our listeners a little bit of background on them.
1: All right, so Thank You Scientist is a band out of New Jersey, and uh, their first EP came out in 2011, and at that point, they were little more than a local band. Um, I don't think they had really played out shows much outside of state other than New York, which is, you know, their neighbor. And uh, they came out with a full-length album in 2012 called Maps of Non-Existent Places. And was either later that year or the following year they were picked up by uh, Claudio Sanchez's label, Evil Ink Records. Claudio. Hey, Claudio! Claudio from uh and Cambria. Good, good eye sniper. And um, <clears throat> he uh, re-released the album and put them out on tour with coheed and i think ever since then they've been working really hard and doing the the grind and and working on getting a name for themselves in in building a following too i mean in that short amount
0: of time uh i believe now they are already headlining their own shows at places like the shelter
1: yeah which it's not a huge venue but i mean just to be able to make that jump
0: especially for a band of you know, their sound, sort of. That's that's insane, yeah, really. Yeah. I, I think the push from Claudio getting them on their label
1: and putting them out on tour and everything really helped them. Yeah, and one thing no one mentions is this is a uh, seven-member band, and that makes it a lot harder to keep touring and keep doing all these things because it costs a lot more, and you split the same amount of money pr- for the shows that you would for a three-person band.
0: And and you got a lot of people doing their fair share of work. This isn't like Slipknot here or... <laughs> <laughs> I I auditioned for that programmer job and I hit button B when I should have hit button A and they fired me, so... Well, you weren't good enough for the job. Hey, I'm a, I'm a little hurt about it, so I can still be upset.
1: <laughs> no, but these guys are absolutely incredible live. Um, I've only gotten the chance to see them once. They opened for Periphery... What, in 2014, I want to say?
0: Yeah, I remember that tour. I could not make it. I had
1: to, I had to work. <laughs> and... They just kill it. But they are really interesting because they're not a standard rock instrumentation style band. They have, you know, your standard guitar, vocals, bass, and drums. But on top of that, they have an electric violinist, a saxophone player, and a trumpet player. So you get a lot of a, a completely different style of sound in there with all those extra instruments, you know, because it, it's almost like the ska thing that people were doing in the 90s. but Exactly. It has that, like, element of sort of the upbeat to it
0: with the horns and everything, mm-hmm. and just, I I don't even know how to describe
1: it. It's so soothing. And they just they put such a weird progressive twist on it. Exactly. So last year, Thank You Scientist actually just went through a three-person member change. Uh, their drummer, sax player, and trumpet player all left the band. So they had to, uh, get some new members to fill those positions. But from what I was able to find out, they split on good terms. Um, I think they just wanted to pursue a different career choice. They're auditioning for Slipknot now? <laughs> no. So I still got a chance to audition for Slipknot. Yes. Okay, good. That's, that's all I wanted to know. And really there's nothing out there like these guys. They've got to sound all their selves. And you need to go listen to them.
0: Absolutely. That is our artist recommendation of the week. Thank you, scientist.
1: Newest album go. is Stranger Heads Prevail, and it came out last year, and well, two years ago now, in 2016. Hey, we're at a new year, baby. You had any uh, New Year's resolutions, Evan? I think in my household we're all supposed to lose 10 pounds or something like 10 that. 10 pounds. Yeah. I'm trying to gain. 10 pounds and it's not it's not working i can give you 10 pounds of mine
0: we can, can we do that transaction over uh paypal
1: <laughs> and um.
0: we'll be right back for more you in Prague. today's episode is brought to you by spinal recovery center of metro detroit in today's day and age we're all working super hard you're getting your hustle on but what do you do when you just got a bum spine or a bad back You can't let that get in the way of you making that money, money. Or as Billy Idol would say, that money, money. Well, at Spinal Recovery Center, they thoroughly evaluate each patient using their team of medical experts to customize the care that you need. Their goal is to reduce your pain level immediately while developing long-term programs to help alleviate your condition. When your body works the way nature intended, your spirit and you soar to victory. So check them out. They are a great sponsor and helping keep the show free. For more information, visit them online at SpinalRecoveryCenter.com. Hey jerks, we're back here on You in Prague. And today we're going to be discussing what was the best Prague album of 1973. Such an influential album here. It, there are so many good ones this year. Now just uh, a kind of recap in 72 you had albums like thick as a brick foxtrot and close to the edge release so it's a very good previous year for prog music 73 uh, as people who were alive that time might remember you had opec which was the hippest abbreviation in the game you had movies like american graffiti by george lucas release that showcased, you know nostalgic uh view on 1960s culture not, not my favorite movie You also had albums released like Aladdin Sane by David Bowie, uh, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road by Elton John. Oh, my my voice did a little something there. (laughs) Quadrophenia, Houses of the Holy, uh, The Wild, The Innocent, The E Street Shuffle. But now the question is, what were the Prague albums that were released that year? Well, first off, we have Selling England by The Pound by Genesis. This was their fifth album. Uh, it had singles on it, like, I Know What You Like in in Your Wardrobe.
1: This is such an interesting album.
0: It, it is really good. It's one of my uh, favorite Genesis records, probably next to uh,
1: The Lamb. I was listening to it last night, and I've always kind of thought Lamb Lies Down on Broadway was one of my favorites, but I I think this might have topped it for me after, after an, a refresh on it.
0: Exactly. It's so... So good. Steve Hackett, the guitarist of Genesis, has said it's his favorite uh, Genesis record.
1: It's really interesting. um, And and a lot of the lyrical content is really interesting, too. It it is very, it's, you know, kind of talking about the loss of English
0: folk culture.
1: Yeah, as American culture influence takes over around the world, but especially in in Britain.
0: (laughs) This album reached uh, number three in the UK and uh, number 70 in the U.S. Billboard charts. Uh, It also saw them switch from a smaller label buddha records to a mainstream label atlantic so that really helped them kind of garnish the big album sales and really helped push them
1: and that was probably part of what made uh peter gabriel start to be so outward and flamboyant whiny oh if you look at uh photos from
0: this tour it's pretty funny the way that Peter Gabriel would dress up. He wore some interesting
1: costumes. It, it almost looks like uh, from Cats. Cats. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, this is this album was only two years before he departed the band. Really? Yeah. Oh wow. They did this one, and then uh, Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, and he and he left after that album. And he was like, "Yo, Genesis,
0: Papa, pace
1: <laughs> So uh, what else we
0: have that year? We have Lark's Tongues in Aspect from the mighty
1: king crimson. Yeah, this album is uh well, among all other king crimson albums, really weird.
0: Uh, very 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 strange. Uh it's got a big sort of like influence of eastern european classical music on it, which is is okay, but I got to be honest, it's probably one of my least favorite king crimson records.
1: I think that moments of it are some of the best king crimson ever released, but as They're a whole, very true. it it's it's a, hard to get through at times. Yeah. This
0: uh, album, it had really good reviews on it from what I was looking up. Most critics really liked it. It uh, peaked at number 20 on the UK and number 61 on the US. But again, I just, you know, it's got some great moments on it, but it's not overall what I think of when I think of like a good King Crimson record. Agreed. Now, what what's the other ones we got? We got Tales from a Topographic Ocean. Yes from topographic oceans not from a from the topographic oceans
1: yes not not all of the the topographic oceans just, just, one of them.
0: just one of them this was a uh concept album based on uh john anderson's interpretation of a footnote in the autobiography of yogi so it's a lot of uh mysticism and stuff that i'm not gonna delve into eh?
1: <laughs> yeah yeah it's a little deep and interesting but it's i, I like their uh drive and their ability to to make a four song album that all four tracks are around 20 minutes long yeah exactly
0: i looked it up they range between 18 minutes to 22 minutes for the four track or
1: the movements as they prefer
0: please i would prefer if you call them movements
1: and there is a lot of uh, there's a lot of dead space in there, I guess. But there's a lot of those iconic Yes vocal harmonies strewn throughout the album, and it's just it's really well done.
0: I, I think it's one of my favorite Yes records uh, that they had, especially for having to follow up "Close to the Edge," which could be argued as their best record. Yeah. And uh, this album uh, was actually the first album for the UK to qualify for gold certification based on the pre-orders alone. Wow! Yeah. So, so many people just wanted it that that was the first time that it ever happened. It uh topped the UK charts at number one for two weeks and reached number six on the uh billboard. Wow, so it was very popular uh around that time. They were huge, they were touring stadiums
1: and everything. Well, it's no wonder then that how busy they were because if you look back at that that year for Yes, they released Yes Songs <laughs> earlier in yes the year. Yes
0: Songs that was the album I was thinking of because I was. Wondering, I know they released two albums that year. Yeah,
1: yes, songs they released earlier that year, which was a live three LP album of just a bunch of different live songs of theirs from their their past and three LPs. That's heavy, baby. Yeah, I think it was recorded from six different concerts. Wow, so there's a lot of a lot of content in there. And then so they released that album, <laughs> and then they uh, recorded "Tales from a Topographic Ocean" later that year and released it. And then toured Tales from a Topographic Ocean. And then Rick Wakeman decided he didn't like the direction the band was taking, left the band after the tour, and released another album of his own, The Six Wives of Henry VIII, all in the same year. What kind of energy level did you guys have in the 70s? I mean,
0: as Rick James would say, cocaine's a hell of a drug. (laughs) Next, I want to talk about brain salad surgery baby emerson
1: lake and palmer and probably at their best oh exactly there's no doubt of it this whole album is a little bit misplaced almost everything feels like it doesn't belong with the rest of it
0: exactly each of them feel like these weird sort of singles that they could have just released on their own but together just makes uh, this like mashup sort of that i don't know if you look at the cover too of it, which was designed by HR uh, Geiger, a great artist, it sort of perfectly encapsulates how the album makes you feel.
1: It's moving, it's dirty, it's raw, It's it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, if you don't have a copy of this on vinyl and you have a good vinyl collection, you need to add it to your collection because it just it's it's so cool looking. Even even if you don't play them, it's just such a cool.
0: Oh yeah, it's got the fold out uh, things of the head we're looking over at it mm-hmm. right here. They actually launched their own record company, Manticore, which is my favorite metal subgenre. Okay. Also, <laughs> in order to uh, release that album, and it uh, saw them probably at their peak of commercial success uh the album reached number two on the uk number 11 in the u.s wow yeah it was very huge for them they headlined the california jam festival and we're selling out venues all over the u.s from it but we got a couple more records to talk about though we have a passion play by jethro Tull.
1: oh my last week's recommendation back <laughs> on the list baby yeah it's crazy it- Great year for Prague. I can't believe how many of these albums came out. I know. This
0: album, uh, by told, you know, they were following Thick as a Brick, which is another one album song. So they had these ideas for it that would eventually become the songs Bungle in the Jungle and Skating Away on the Thin Ice of the New Day, which was released on War Child. And War Child was really a very polished commercial record as a response to... The backlash against the passion play, which people said was reviewers said was sort of Prague at its messiest, and I so disagree. It's such a good record, and you know the mysticism of it, and him exploring the different avenues of life and death and stuff. It's all great. It's not overblown.
1: No, and I mean I think it's it's some of the most interdiverse music, definitely that Tull released. So oh, yes, there's a lot of different parts within the album, different styles throughout the album. And I think tall over their career has been very diverse, but they typically stay within one style for most of an album. Exactly. Uh, You know, for Aqua Long and for
0: thick as a brick, it really relied just on, you know, the guitars, the flute, Mm -hmm. the, the keyboard and everything. But and this album, they had saxophones, they had these weird sort of soundscapes. Yeah, I don't think Ian Anderson was afraid to try anything on this album. Exactly, sort of kind of put his own bravado in front and said, this is what I'm uh, going to do. You want to like it uh, or not? And it turns out people did not like it.
1: Uh, whatever. I think it's got more to offer than thick as a brick. So,
0: ooh, that's a, that's a good debate for another time. <laughs> and uh, that's, that's such a tough one because A Passion Play has been one of my favorite records I've been listening to the last couple of years. Uh, despite all the negative press, though, it reached number one in the U.S. and number 13 in the U.K., though with all of the negative backlash against them there was a little controversy that happened where tull's manager terry ellis announced to a magazine melody maker that the band would be retiring from live performances in response to the negative reviews of the album and concerts it turns out though it was just a publicity stunt as uh, ian anderson and the rest of the band learned when they saw the magazine and they saw the headline that Toll was retiring in response to poor reviews of a passion play, which is 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 pretty insane. Anderson uh said that it made them look uh petulant and brought them on the wrong side of uh publicity, which I can agree with. That's uh
1: it's a little it, weird.
0: Yeah. You never want to be like, oh, so you don't like what I'm putting out? Fine, I'm done forever. Yeah, it's a bad look. Yeah. yeah very, very bad look for them. But oh, this record was just so good to me of uh, It's divided up in like weird different tracks. There's Memory Bank, Best Friends, uh, The Foot on the Stairs. It's all so good. Can you bring up... uh, Oh, The Hare Who Lost His Spectacles. This is the story of the hare who lost his spectacles. This is what divides the album, and I think this is what turned a lot of people off from it. It's... (sighs) Get over it. Yeah, get over it. I mean, <laughs> I may be a little biased because as a child, my dad would play this for us a lot, and we just loved it. It's very, it's very skippy, free-flowy. It's nice.
1: Yeah, it's got different characters, a kangaroo, a, kangaroo, a hare, uh, an owl. It's kind of Winnie the pooh A, 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 <laughs> a newt. <laughs> a newt.
0: And it, it all revolves around the story of a hare who lost his glasses and seems to ask all of his friends if they can help him, but seems like all of his friends are pretty uh, lazy and not that helpful. All of them are just like, no, I can't go with you. Nah, I'm sleeping. Nah, I can't go with him at all. He can't see shit. <laughs> I, It's going to be tough for me to try and pick uh, a favorite album in this because a passion play holds holds so much memory and nostalgia in my heart. So I got to keep that in consideration. But... We also have one more record that came out this year. Probably the proggiest of prog albums, as many would say. We have Dark Side of the Wall by Pink Floyd. I think you mean the moon. It, it's one of those things. My notes are a little jumbled up right here. <laughs> but yes, Dark Side of the Moon came out in 1973. And oh, what can we even say about this record? Pretty good. I don't know, maybe falls flat. Falls flat. You heard it right here, people. I mean it's so tough when you throw Dark Side of the Moon into the mix of anything because
1: realistically it's probably one of the most important albums of all time.
0: Uh without without question, man. And you know, going back and re listening to it, it's still my favorite Pink Floyd record. Although Animals holds a special place too. It there. always will. But uh, what this meant, you know, for the genre and whole really brought it into an insane mainstream light. I know you had bands like Yes and Tull and Genesis and stuff headlining, you know, arenas. But Pink Floyd really brought it to a mainstream mass appeal.
1: Yeah, I mean, I Dark Side of the Moon has to be one of the best selling albums of that time period. I, I want to see this. Let's see. In the U.S., Dark Side of the Moon
0: went Fifteen times platinum. That's insane. Fifteen million records. And that's just in uh, the U.S. It went 14 times platinum in
1: uh, the U.K. Wow. That's, wow. that's crazy. Wow. But it's just such a great album.
0: Uh, every song you could go into a huge debate over why it's the best pink floyd song i mean for a while great gig in the sky was my favorite uh time then you know speak to me it's it's all just so good i think i'm partial to time yeah i i really do love time it's a a great way to wake up in the morning too if you want to hate yourself and everything about the day that's coming So with Dark Side of the Moon, I mean, I don't think there is even much more you can say about it because it's been discussed so deeply. It will always hold a place as one of the best uh, prog albums of all time. But I think we can put it aside for this discussion.
1: Yeah, I think even though you can call it one of the most influential and one of the most important albums for prog and otherwise, let's pick our favorite out of everything. But so I'm going to go ahead and eliminate.
0: Yes, because I love that album, but it's it's not my favorite of theirs. No, I agree. Same with uh, King Crimson. Sorry, but King Crimson, you are eliminated. Uh, selling England by the Pound. It's It's so great. Probably one of my favorite Genesis records, but I'm going to have to go ahead and cut it right there. Yep. So now you're down to what? Brain salad surgery and a passion play? Brain salad surgery and a passion play. This is a tough one.
1: I had a hard time choosing between these two. I mean, with Brain Salad Surgery, you've got that awesome uh, second track, Toccata, which is based on the fourth movement of Alberto Ginastera's Concerto for Piano, number one. Hey, which, fancy. Which is so cool to bring classical music into rock. And have it just blend so flawlessly, really. Yeah, yeah. but overall, I think Brain Salad Surgery is just, a little bit too much of a brain salad surgery. It's a little too chopped up. Exactly. Every track feels like its own sort of idea. Yeah. Like uh, they were all thought of separately over different times, maybe on different drugs (laughs) (laughs) and, um, and just kind of placed on the same album.
0: Yeah. I, I have to agree with that too, even though it was probably Emerson Lincoln Palmer's biggest record I don't know if it's my favorite of theirs, because I have to kind of throw that to Tarkus.
1: Yeah, I I go with Tarkus, too. Um, I just uh, I love the title track.
0: Exactly. I mean, nothing can nothing can top that. So I think after a clear deciding here, we're going to have to give the best prog record of 1973 to a passion play by Jethro Tull. Congratulations, boys. Number one with a bullet. And that's been another week for You in Prague. This has been a 148 South Street Studio production. Executive produced by Nick Coco, Evan Benetti, and Taylor Blackburn. For more information and content, please visit us at 148southstreetstudio.com. And just a reminder, the views and opinions expressed on You in Prague do not reflect those of our sponsors.